this episode contains real narrated experiences. Listener discretion is advised. Good evening and welcome into Disturbed. This week, I've got four true experiences that are sure to keep you up at night. So join me as we explore the realm of true horror. Our first experience comes from Reddit user RedClock0413, and introducing new guest narrator Leah Marie Green. Just remember, at night, always close your blinds. So, I'm a 23-year-old female. I live in a townhouse with my two children, two and six months old. My fiancé did live with us, until two weeks ago, when I caught him trying to fuck other women and made him move out. That's important to the story. I'm a stay-at-home mom, and when he did live with us, my ex worked evenings. Let me set the scene. We live in a tiny town in northern Pennsylvania. My line of townhouses sits in a big field that runs to a line of woods. As far as I'm aware, these would stretch for at least a few miles, and I'm not aware of any houses in there or any roads that lead through them. My living room has three windows that look to the field, and my bedroom on the second floor only has one window that faces that way as well. People do tend to walk their dogs back in the field, and kids sometimes play back there, but I rarely see anyone close to my house. For that reason, I tend to leave my blinds and curtains open, because I guess I just enjoy the view. So in July of 2019, I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep. All of the lights were off, but I had my window and blinds open since it was so warm. I was looking out the window, and I noticed small red and white lights just outside. I got up and looked to realize that the lights were coming from a drone. I ran downstairs to where my fiancé of the time was sitting in the living room and ran to the window. I told him what I saw, but of course when he went to look, it was gone. I was paranoid that the drone could have had a camera on it, and someone was watching me with it. I kept my blinds closed for a while after that. Fast forward to January of this year. I guess I stupidly got comfortable and assumed that whoever was flying the drone was a one-time creep. My blinds were open, and I had just gotten out of the shower. I was sitting on my bed pretty much naked except for my underwear, scrolling on my phone. When out of the corner of my eye... I saw lights again out of the dark window. It was that damn drone again. I ran out of the room and waited for a few minutes. I peeked back into my room, and it was gone. I quickly shut my blinds and got dressed. Honestly, I felt sick at how stupid I was to leave my window open again, especially when I was practically naked. Now for the really disturbing part. My two-year-old son and I were out in the field two weeks ago, three days after I kicked out my boyfriend playing ball. I had my six-month-old strapped to me on a baby carrier. Probably about a half hour after we'd been out there, 
I heard a slight whirring noise coming towards us. I looked up and saw that damn drone flying towards us. I looked around and didn't see anyone. It stopped right over us. I freaked and grabbed my son and dragged him into the house, looking back at the tree line every so often as we went. I knew they had to be hiding in there. I went inside, closed the blinds, and called my mom and told her about the situation. She told me to just keep an eye out. I said I would. My son likes to line up his toys along the windowsill, so I figured it wouldn't hurt to open them up just an inch or so. A little while later, after we ate dinner and it was almost dark, I was feeding my six-month-old and my son was playing. He was standing over by the window lining up his toys. He started saying, Dada! Dada! I assumed he was just missing his father and dismissed him by saying we are going to go see him that weekend. He kept saying, Dada! Dada! I looked up and saw him pointing to the window under the little gap the blinds didn't cover. I froze. I remembered that he calls any man with facial hair Dada because it reminds him of his father. But there was no way someone would be bold enough to actually come up to my window. Not when my neighbors are literally right there. Anyone could see them. But there aren't any lights back there, so unless someone actually stepped out of their house, I guess nobody would see them. Maybe it was my ex. But he should be at work at that time. I ran to the window and moved my son. I didn't want to lift the blinds, but honestly, I was sure it had to be the person who had been creeping on me for the past year, and I wanted to see who it was. I pushed the blinds up and was looking at a man, who I had definitely never seen before, crouching in front of me. He was bald with a mustache and goatee. I have no idea how old he was. He could have been anywhere from 30 to 50. When he saw me, he smiled and stood up. I yelled and told him to fuck off and that I was calling the cops. He just stood there, smiling at me like some freak. I was about to close the blinds again when he said something I couldn't hear. I told him to leave again and he said louder this time, I just want to talk to you. I shook my head no and yelled the same thing to him. He started slapping his hands on the window, yelling no, 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 over and over. I grabbed my phone, scared he was going to try to break in. I dialed 911. My kids were crying from the yelling, and I was on the verge of tears. I told the operator what was going on. The whole time I was on my phone, the man was pounding on my window, screaming now. He was yelling all kinds of nonsense, and I only caught some of it. He said he's been watching me for months. I'm beautiful. He wants me to come with him. He'll kill my children if I don't. The operator told me to go to an upstairs room and hide until the police arrive. My town doesn't have a police department, so we rely on state police. She said it would be about 20 minutes, but stay on the phone with her. The man was practically punching my window now and was just screaming like a maniac. I was about to grab the kids and run upstairs when I heard someone else screaming. The man bolted. I looked out and saw my neighbor and his girlfriend. I opened the window and my neighbor said he'd heard the man so he ran around the building. He said when the guy heard him, he ran back to the woods and disappeared in the tree line. They said they also called the police. I thanked them a hundred times. The police arrived ten minutes later. They did a quick search around the buildings and in the trees, but obviously didn't find anything. I've been super paranoid since then and stayed at my parents a few nights after it happened. I don't know why that guy targeted me or why he waited so long to do something. I'm just happy my neighbors were there to intervene, or who knows what would have happened. 
So the creep who's been stalking me and my family for the last year, I genuinely hope we never, ever meet again. If you enjoy what you're hearing, consider supporting us as a premium listener. Premium listeners enjoy perks like shoutouts, early ad-free episodes, merch store discounts, and bonus episodes. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fanclub. In our next experience, we meet Reddit user Mamba Cho with narration by yours truly. This experience has been independently verified by Reddit's team through supporting evidence and has been given the exclusive verified tag. When you're on a plane over the middle of the Atlantic, unfortunately, there's nowhere to hide. This was a long time ago. So the timeline might be a little bit off, and some details are fuzzy, but I've written it out exactly as I recall it. In the early 2000s, my family was living in Europe, and in December of 2001, we were coming back home to Latin America for Christmas vacation. My brother and I, both in high school at the time, and my dad were flying together from Paris to Miami. My dad was seated in business class, while my brother and I were both in coach, sitting in the middle two seats of the middle row. The flight was pretty normal at first, absolutely nothing out of the ordinary. About four or five hours into the flight, I was reading a book, almost dozing off, when I heard a woman start to repeat the word no over and over. At first, it was really quiet, almost inaudible, but it quickly got very loud and urgent. Before I realized what was happening, she was screaming, no, 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 at the top of her lungs. I looked up and saw a flight attendant a few rows ahead of me to the right, hunched over someone sitting on the window seat. My first thought was that a passenger was having a heart attack or some catastrophic health problem, but her yelling was so unsettling that this couldn't be it. There was a strangely long delay in people's reactions nobody did anything. I completely panicked and froze in my seat. My brother, on the other hand, jumped up out of his seat, jumped over the person sitting on the aisle seat to his right, and ran up to see what was going on. He was up there in a matter of seconds, and as he approached, suddenly everyone around us stood up to see what was going on, and or try to help. She kept screaming, and now she was struggling with this passenger. He was really tall, so tall that his whole head was visible over the back of the seat, and he had long, curly black hair. My brother came back to our row and said, something is wrong, before going back up to get a closer look. Passengers close to her began struggling with the guy as well. A bunch of people jumped on him and started pulling at him, and someone in the row behind him even pulled his hair back so hard his face jerked towards the top of the plane. He let out a really loud moan or scream. And then there was chaos. The aisles were so crowded nobody could move, and I saw a fire extinguisher being passed hand-to-hand from the back of the plane. I immediately thought there was a fire, 
and that we were all going to die. It was an incredibly hopeless sensation to know that there's nowhere to run and no way to escape the situation unfolding in front of you. They passed the extinguisher up to a male flight attendant near the guy, and the flight attendant hit him with the butt of the extinguisher really hard on the face. They started asking for belts, headphones, straps, etc., anything they could use to restrain him. My brother took off his belt and gave it to them, and they wrapped everything they could around the passenger's arms, shoulders, and torso, securing him to the seat. I saw the male flight attendant who had hit him with the extinguisher carry a pair of large black tennis shoes to the back of the plane, which at the time seemed kind of strange, but I didn't think much of it. The flight attendants asked if there was a doctor on board to sedate the guy. People kept asking if there was a flight marshal on board, but nobody came forward. I can't remember exactly how or when things calmed down, but eventually everyone was told to return to their seats. A small group of people that helped restrain the guy were asked to keep guard on rotation. There were always at least a few people sitting behind him and or next to him, keeping an eye on him. I think there was even someone behind him holding a fistful of his hair for the rest of the flight. The pilot announced over the PA that there had been a security breach. I can't remember exactly what he said, but it was vague, and that they were being diverted to Boston Logan Airport. He said they didn't know if the person was working alone, so, quote, get to know your neighbor, end quote. We were in the middle of the Atlantic, with maybe four more hours to go before we could land. Things were a bit ominous and tense, but for the most part, everyone was friendly and in a pretty good mood. Nobody knew what had actually happened. We weren't allowed to get up from our seats. And if you had to use the bathroom, you needed to call a flight attendant to escort you to the lavatory where you weren't allowed to lock the door. I remember a grumpy old French man a few rows from us got really annoyed after a while and kept getting up without permission just to annoy the flight attendants. They were not happy. After a while, they put on a movie, Legally Blonde, to distract the passengers. My brother and I went up to business class to talk to my dad. Apparently, they didn't hear the extent of the chaos in the back of coach, and they were all going about business as usual. A few hours later, as we approached the U.S., we saw fighter jets outside of the windows on both sides of the plane. The pilot announced that they were escorting us to Boston. A few little kids got really excited watching the jets. I later learned that these were a last resort security measure to prevent hijacked planes from repeating 9-11 style attacks. They were supposed to shoot us down in case of a major threat. We landed and we were told to stay seated. A SWAT team came on board carrying assault rifles and tons of body armor, cut off all the guy's restraints, and took him off the plane. I saw everything in detail, since we were seated only a few seats behind him. We were parked in the middle of the tarmac for a long time before we were allowed to disembark. I remember seeing pieces of my brother's belt on the guy's seat as we left, and thought about taking one as a souvenir, but thought better of it. We were escorted to a baggage claim area in Boston Logan Airport that was surrounded by a large metal fence to keep us all in one place. We were there for what felt like three or four hours, just waiting anxiously, and nobody would explain anything to us. Passengers were getting really agitated, shaking the metal fences and yelling at airport personnel that this was inhumane treatment. There was no food, nowhere to sit, 
and children were crying. Dozens of people were trying to sleep on the baggage carousel. They finally ordered a bunch of pizzas and led us into the waiting area with actual chairs, where each passenger was interrogated by the FBI. They were astonishingly unfriendly. I guess they were trying to discern if the guy had any partners on board. They then shuffled us to our baggage, where security officers thoroughly hand-searched every single passenger's shoes, suitcases, and carry-on bags, and patted everyone down. We were finally allowed to make a phone call, and I called my mom. The rest of the family was completely hysterical. They had been watching the news all day, and they knew that an Islamic extremist terrorist had tried to blow up our flight with a bomb that he had smuggled on board in his shoe. We had absolutely no idea what had really happened until this moment, as we were kept completely in the dark. It was a very strange sensation. Up until this point, my dad, brother, and I had actually remained pretty relaxed considering the circumstances, and we were more annoyed about the inconvenient changes to our travel itinerary than the crazy experience on the plane. We had no idea how bad the security breach really was, and how close we came to being killed. After about 12 hours in Boston, we were put on another flight home. My brother made the mistake of giving a few interviews to CNN and other networks while we were in Boston, so when we landed in our small country, he was immediately swarmed by the press and gave a bunch of interviews despite being exhausted. I was happy to finally sit and relax with my family after the longest and most stressful trip of my life. We later learned that the bomber, Richard Reed, had actually tried to board the same flight on the previous day. He was detained and questioned by French security because of multiple red flags. He had no luggage and purchased a one-way ticket with cash, causing him to miss his flight. They put him on the next day's flight and put him up in a hotel kind of far from the airport, since everything nearby was booked. The following day, it rained, and on the walk from the hotel to the airport, his shoes got wet. This might have been why he had trouble lighting the wick in his shoe. His plan was to light it mid-flight. He waited until the passenger next to him went to the bathroom, then tried to light his shoe with matches. The female flight attendant that first engaged him had smelled the matches and was walking up and down the aisle looking for a passenger who, she assumed, was trying to smoke a cigarette. She saw him with the shoe in his lap and immediately tried to take it from him. They struggled and he bit her hand. Richard Reed, aka the shoe bomber, is now serving three life sentences in prison. Just a reminder that we take your true submissions. If you've had a terrifying experience and want to share it, leave us a message on our hotline at 701-712-8008. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. 
You're listening to Stop the Killing podcast. Join us as we take you behind the crime scene tape to explain global mass shootings and mass attacks. I'm Sarah Ferris, but more importantly, this is Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. I spent five years as the FBI's top executive looking for answers to the mass shooting crisis. I've been at the shooting scenes. I've traced heroic acts of bravery. And I've sat silently and listened to the heart-wrenching stories from survivors. Amongst this horror, there is hope. We all hold the key to stop the killing. You just need to know how to unlock the door. Download Stop the Killing and be part of the solution. Search Stop the Killing on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in-depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife, Maggie, and son, Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page. Well, hey, podcast listener. My name is Vince, and I'm the host of a show called The RR Show. It stands for Reddit Readings. We're going to sit down twice a week, and I'm going to bring you the most entertaining stories from all of the best subreddits that exist online. Things like malicious compliance, petty revenge, hey, lady, I don't work here. Oh, there's so much more. Lots of great stories and things you won't believe. Like the one time uh, this dude was caught in a bathroom with his friend, and he was slapping them because that was the only way that he could actually legitimately help them. A mall cop comes in with a taser. Oh, yeah, the rest is history. It's going to be fun. There is, uh, well, I don't know, I got like 20 seconds left, so I don't got much more time to tell you another story. But just join me on The RR Show. It's from Evergreen Podcast, produced in partnership with Wessler Media. So The RR Show, wherever you get podcasts, subscribe today. And uh, it's like an adult story time. Let's hang out together. The RR Show. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. In our next experience, we're introduced to Reddit user GuitarGirl501, with narration by Leah Marie Green. No matter where you are, you should always be aware of your surroundings. So, this happened about a year ago, and it's still pretty freaky. For context, my friend and I are both 22 and female. My friend Anna and I were bored one weekend, and decided to go to a popular beach to take some pictures and just mess around. So we took pictures and had a really lovely day. Then on the way back, we were starving, so we decided to stop at a McDonald's in the beach town. This town is, like, really, really famous and nice. All the celebrities live there, and it's beautiful. There's also a super famous restaurant right off the highway on the beach that's known for celebrities and rich people going. This McDonald's was directly across the street from the restaurant. Since so many famous people go to this restaurant and it's on a pretty busy road, most of them have drivers that take them, usually in big black Escalades. The drivers would usually hang out in the parking lot of that McDonald's while their bosses ate across the street. Anna and I didn't know this at the time, we just wanted a McFlurry. So we go to McDonald's, And right when we get out of the car, she starts acting really weird. 
she like triple checks that the car doors are locked and grabs her fancy camera to bring inside. Ask her what's up. And she says there's a group of guys, the drivers, standing in front of McDonald's smoking and staring at us. And it was just giving her the creeps. I'm a pretty chill and trusting person, so I don't think much of it. It's a busy place in a super nice town. I'm not worried. We go in, and there are a few other people in there about our age. We get our food and sit at the table to eat. One of the drivers comes in and sits a few booths down with his back to the wall, right where he can see us. My back is to him, but Anna gets really creeped out and wants to leave. This guy isn't eating nor anything. He's just staring at us. Again, this is a pretty crowded McDonald's in one of the nicest towns in Southern California. So I feel pretty safe. Living in South Central, you get used to the odd creep. Still, Anna was freaked out. So I agree to go. I just have to run to the bathroom first. It was one of those McDonald's where the counter and main dining room were in one big room. And then there was sort of a hallway off to the side of the counter with more seating and the bathroom at the end, way in the back. There was also a door going outside right next to the bathrooms. The bathroom only has two stalls. I just walked into the first stall, not really paying attention to whether or not anyone else was in there. So I'm in there doing my thing, and I hear the door open, and I hear Anna call my name. At this point, I'm very confused, since she's supposed to be watching our stuff. And I'm like, yeah, what's up? She asks, are you okay? Yeah, just peeing, I reply. She was like, oh, okay. And just stands there, in the doorway. After a second, I hear her leave, and I'm thinking, that's very weird. So I walk out of the bathroom and see her waiting by the door with all of our stuff in her hands. I ask her what's going on, and why she came into the bathroom, and she just looks at me really panicky, and is like, we need to leave right now. At this point, I'm still not afraid, just confused. We rush out to the car and she starts telling me what happened. Turns out, when I walked into the bathroom, the creepy driver followed me in just a little while after. I don't remember hearing him come in, but maybe I did and just assumed someone had either been in the stall next to me and was leaving, or had just come to check their makeup or something. I'll be honest, I wasn't really paying attention. I know for sure I wasn't aware that anyone had entered the stall next to me, because he didn't close the stall door when he came in. She was on her phone, so she didn't see him follow me either. A young guy noticed it and went up to my friend, asking if we knew the driver. Frantic, she told him we did not and ran to check on me. He was in the stall next to me with the stall door open. It was the large handicap stall, not making a sound. She came in and didn't see him, so she called my name to make sure I was still alive. And he rushed out of the stall past her. She was in shock and didn't know what to do other than gather our things and prepare to run. When we went to her car, he was sitting in his big black car with tinted windows next to us, still staring. We sped off, and when I got the story, we called the McDonald's to let them know what happened. They didn't really care. And then we called the non-emergency sheriff line to report it as well, which was closed. Thank you, Malibu, for nothing. Eventually, my mom went full-on mama bear, and threatened to blast it all over social media if they didn't take my report seriously and got a hold of someone at corporate from there. They checked their cameras, and they saw the guy follow me in. 
A police report was made, so hopefully this never happens to anyone else again. Thank God nothing happened, but it was really scary. The guy was sitting in his car staring at us when we left. Who knows what he was planning on doing? So, guy in the McDonald's bathroom, let's not meet. A family friend who used to be a cop told us this isn't all that uncommon. A lot of the time, they just film the girl in the stall, which is obviously creepy, but not violent. In this case, the red flag is that he didn't close his stall door, and I never saw anything, which made us think he was waiting to catch me off guard when I turned to wash my hands. Scary, no matter what. Always be aware of your surroundings and trust your gut, or in my case, your friend's gut. In our final experience, we hear from Reddit user tbug411, and I'm excited to announce new guest narrator Nina Instead. You may recognize her as the host of the Already Gone podcast. If you haven't already done so, make sure you check it out and subscribe. If you've always thought your hotel room was a safe space, think again. This past Monday, my coworkers and I returned to our hotel from a day of work out in the field. Rebecca and I walked to our rooms, and as we stood outside of our rooms, I opened my door and I saw someone in the bathroom. I said, Hello? No one answered. My first instinct was that it was a cleaning lady in there for some reason. Then I saw my bag with my clothing in her hands. I said to my coworker, there's a woman in my room. And then I asked the woman, what are you doing with my stuff? It gets a little fuzzy here because I can't remember everything I said and what she said. But she kept mumbling about how her key still worked, how it still worked, and that's how she got in. I was in shock, and she was obviously very flustered having been caught mid-robbery. She dropped my bags and fumbled around with her purse in a white plastic bag. By this time, my coworker was behind me watching all the insanity unfold. This woman was scrambling and walking toward the door, and I said, What's in the bag? Thinking it's probably my stuff. She said, No, no, it's just my things. It's just my things. I'll, I'll show you. And so she did. I looked, and I didn't see anything of mine. And so, since I'm obviously in shock at this time, I let her leave. I went into my room and it's been ransacked. I did a quick look around to see if anything had been taken. All of my electronics were still there. Then I went into the bathroom and I saw my underwear, my bikini, and my clothing shoved into my own bags randomly. Even my passport was shoved in there. Then I looked on the counter and I saw that she got into my medication... I'm not sure what was going through my head at the moment, other than I wanted it back. So I ran out the door to go find her. I ran to the laundry room downstairs and out to the sides of the hotel and I didn't see her. I realized I was never going to find her. So my coworker and I went down to the lobby to tell them what had happened. And then we called the police. 
We went back up to my room to wait, and I noticed that there is a metal bat on my bed. The bat was a little larger than one of those novelty wooden bats you can get at a baseball game, but there's also a flashlight on the end. She must have left it behind in her rush to leave. She also left behind a necklace that must have fallen out of her bag when she was scrambling with mine. I was freaking out at this point because I thought she'd gotten away with my medication, medication that I need. Then the police arrived and took our statements and looked around the room as well. One thing that I noticed was that there were bits of drywall in the sink, and I pointed that out to the cops, but none of us really knew where it came from. We started looking at the door and at the windows to see if she pried her way in somehow, but there was nothing. We just kind of went with the idea that she had a spare key or something, even though the hotel's front desk was adamant there's no way that was possible. The officer that responded to my call brought two more officers in as backup because he thought the woman might still be in the vicinity. But after our statements were taken, there was nothing else they could do, so they left. I sat down to make some calls to tell people what had happened, and as I'm on the phone, I'm thinking about the drywall in the sink, and it still doesn't make sense to me. So I'm on the phone, and I'm looking at the drywall, and I'm looking at the mirror on the wall above the drywall, and that's when it hit me. I got my coworker, and I asked her to help me pull at the mirror on the wall, and we took the mirror down. And there's a hole there just big enough for a desperate junkie to squeeze through. I asked Brian and Rebecca if I should call the cops again to let them know that I found this. And my boss said, there's still two cop cars in the parking lot. So I went down to tell them and the female cop kind of rolled her eyes. But the young guy said, hey, I'll come check it out. They both came back upstairs. They looked in the hole and they found a pillow, blankets, cigarettes, clothing, toothbrushes. This woman had been living in the wall behind my bathroom mirror for God knows how long. She had access to me and to my room at all times. And yeah, I know it might be hard to picture, but there was a crawl space about two feet wide between the two rows of rooms. One of the officers called the original officer to come back so they could take pictures. She explained to him what was going on, and all I hear over the radio is, no fucking way. So he comes back, he takes pictures, and is just as mind-blown as the rest of us. Obviously, we packed up and left that hotel immediately. What's even crazier is that she'd probably been there a long time. The last time we stayed at this hotel, I would randomly smell cigarette smoke. And I just assumed someone was smoking in their bathroom and it was traveling through the vents. But nope. Some junkie was smoking just on the other side of my bathroom mirror. And she had access to other rooms, too. The holes in the walls, they were from a renovation, and the hotel had not properly patched things up. They just covered up the holes with mirrors. Think how long she could have been hanging out in people's rooms when they were gone. Or watching them sleep when they didn't know she was there. I'm Nina Instead, host of the Already Gone podcast. I hope you enjoyed this story. Thanks for listening. Before we end this week's show, I'm going to be taking this time each week to read one of your reviews from Apple Podcasts. 
This week's review is from user RidiculousSpatronus1. The review. Awesome. Very intense. Suspenseful from beginning to end. The episode on Savannah kept me on the edge of my seat. Looking forward to more. Thank you for that review. For your chance to have your review read on the podcast, make sure you go drop us a review on Apple Podcasts or by going to disturbedpodcast.com slash rate. If you've enjoyed this episode of Disturbed, consider supporting us as a premium listener. Find out more at disturbedpodcast.com slash fan club. Special thanks to all the contributing narrators and submitters of these stories. You'll find all the relevant links in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe wherever you're listening so you always get the newest episodes automatically. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Disturbed Podcast and on Twitter at Disturbed underscore pod to stay up to date with all the latest Disturbed news. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Stay safe out there, y'all.